0: i uh-huh. uh-huh.
1: Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Benoit Blanc and Marta Cabrera from Knives Out. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest Kestra Dorowski. Welcome back, Kestra.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: And I believe, producer Andrew, you are also a fan of this
2: movie. Is that correct? Yes. Not not nearly the fan that Kestra is. Right.
1: And (laughs) Uh, you are sitting in the room with your wife, Kestra. So you're gonna be jumping in (laughs) on this discussion. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Well, a bit more information for anyone who does not remember, Knives Out is a 2019 murder mystery film that was written and directed by Ryan Johnson. It tells the story of the wealthy patriarch of a family who dies suspiciously and the investigation by Benoit Blanc to discover who killed him. It starred, it's a big cast, so give me a second. Gotta take a, a deep breath to run into this. Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, Anna de Armas as Marta Cabrera, Chris Evans as Ransom Drysdale, Jamie Lee Curtis as Linda Drysdale, Michael Shannon as Walt Thromby, Don Johnson as Richard Drysdale, Tony Collette as Joni Thromby, and Christopher Plummer as Harlan Thromby, as well as several other people who did great jobs in their roles. I love the cast of this film.
0: Okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> oh, what a film! Though I, I still remember like seeing the cast announced like, "Whoa, they're all in this." Okay, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah Kestra do you remember when you first saw Knives Out
0: Well it wasn't in theaters um, Andrew was it Just at, did we borrow it from I think we borrowed the DVD From John I think we borrowed mm-hmm. it from John uh, And so we just Yeah yep. and so we just watched it From the DVD uh, I don't remember exactly when But since then I've just Fallen in love with this film
1: <laughs> And I remember watching it in the theater. I think it came out right around Thanksgiving in two thousand and nineteen, so I did see it in theaters. I want to say it's opening weekend, and um, I just remember it was getting really good buzz, and the reviews had been really good, but I was purposely kind of like being coy about seeing you know reading any reviews mm-hmm. and uh watching it, it just kind of like checked so many boxes of what i want but I haven't seen much of in films like i can't remember the last big huge cast whodunit murder mystery <laughs> right yeah. and this is like uh, with, with so many stars like like film stars not not uh you know i mean there's so many murder shows on tv where you can get some good murder mysteries but it's uh it doesn't feel as special as like having oh there's captain america oh there's james bond <laughs> yes <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah that's that's definitely when i was w- first watching it i couldn't get chris evans to not be captain america and it it happens by the end (laughs) (laughs) yes
1: um all right some trivia about knives out it has a 97 percent positive score on rotten tomatoes and it was nominated for best original screenplay academy award parasite won though that year so you know the one that won best picture also won best screenplay suppose that happens um that was the only nomination for knives out i feel like it could have gotten some other nominations oh i think so I think, uh, I mean, I understand best original screenplay because this is a pretty complex plot that Ryan Johnson has woven together in a way that I think pays off all the red herrings that in a way that's satisfying like in mysteries you will have to have red herrings but sometimes the red herring turns out to be like why were they doing that because we needed them to <laughs> yeah <laughs> to, to look suspicious and none of that feels like uh the motivation that's that for, for any like the the misdirects that happen along the way i think everything is paid off in a very satisfying way so props to ryan johnson for that yes um he had planned to make knives out after his film Looper was released, but a little franchise called Star Wars came calling and he made The Last Jedi before Knives Out. I know The Last Jedi is controversial, but I really like that film. So I was very excited about Knives Out. I uh, I In agree. Part because of Last Jedi.
0: Last Jedi is my favorite Star Wars film. I know that's very controversial, but it's my favorite. And I love Last Jedi and I love this film. So I'm like, hmm, yeah, maybe I'm just like Ryan Johnson as well. Yeah, I think
1: he has a very good, confident sensibility and, uh, um you know he it, all his choices just feel deliberate like it doesn't feel like there's any wasted line of dialogue or any wasted shot in yeah, the yeah exactly uh the film's title comes from a 2001 radiohead song uh but ryan jensen said it has nothing to do with the song but the phrase knives out i'm a fan of radiohead and i love the song knives out that phrase stuck out to me as a great title for a murder mystery <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's why it's called that um Daniel Craig based his accent. I don't know if you noticed he has a bit of an accent <laughs> in in this film. So noted um, British actor <laughs> Daniel Craig uh, has a very almost like a foghorn leghorn esque southern drawl in this. Uh, and it is based on Shelby Foote, who is a famous Civil War historian who did lots of uh, talking head voice work in Ken Burns Civil War documentary. So if you've ever seen the Civil War documentary, which I don't know any American school child of the last 20 years who hasn't seen <laughs> some of Ken Burns' Civil War documentary in a history class. You've heard Shelby Foote's voice, and that's who Daniel Craig based his accent on. Um, Ryan Johnson said in the script, it's uh, the, the character description said, uh, like, like, you know, um, the first time that Benoit Blanc uh, speaks, it says a hint of a southern accent is present. <laughs> <laughs>
0: a hint i think he puts on a little bit more of a than a hint
1: (laughs) that that was the original direction uh ryan johnson said i tried uh but but you know it's daniel craig and when he has his accent you give him his accent particularly when it's that good i heard like i heard someone complain about it sounding too fake i'm like it sounds like a pretty good southern accent
0: to me (laughs) i i think it sounds i mean it's a specific southern accent so like Mm -hmm. it's not like like, well, it's Shelby Foot. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah it, like it's it's specific and it's unusual and and it's it's specific enough that people could imitate it and do bad versions of it. And so you think mm-hmm. it's a you might think that it's it is a, a a it is a character caricaturized accent to begin with. Yes. Like just by its oh, nature. It's I love like, that but, description of it, Andrew. I think you nailed it. Yeah.
0: But uh this accent But, but it is authentic. is very similar to what my high school principal accent was it was a very very southern accent and uh yeah it was very very southern
1: oh and i think one thing that is nice is so often when you have a southern accent that is that thick the character that is being played is either um a neo-nazi ku klux klan member skinhead or uh a yokel that's comedic relief and this is a very competent intelligent person who has that thick of a southern accent
0: yes very interesting to see someone with that thick of a southern accent being like portrayed with like oh no i am a pi i am like really well
2: (laughs) i'm I'm smart and and i'm sincere because i think yeah the the third thing that you would suspect joseph with this accent is that they're hiding something this is the mayor of a Mm -hmm. town that is sinister
0: yeah, someone's sinister and stuff. But nope, a, it's like, that- no,
2: he is not sinister. He's just like, I'm doing my thing and I <laughs> yeah. am pretty good at it.
1: And he, I mean, very often I would say he's the smartest person in the room, but he does not like come off with like a smarmy confidence or anything at all. I mean, we're digging into the character some already, but I, I really do enjoy Daniel Craig's choices in playing Benoit Blanc and how he gets portrayed in this. Yes. Uh, but before we dig into all that, I guess some more trivia, it made $300 million or $311 million at the box office. That's it's domestic and international. And I only had a budget of 40 million. So that's a pretty nice return on investment. It does beg the question. Um, Brian Johnson sold the rights to two sequels uh for 469 million dollars to netflix that's a lot of wiggle room between <laughs> <laughs> the original budget yeah of one film of 40 million dollars and netflix paying him 469 million dollars to make two films
0: <laughs> yeah that's 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 a lot <laughs>
1: Yes, the sequ- uh, first sequel has been filmed, but it does not yet have a release date. Well, so I, sometime soon, uh, I, I
2: sometime this year, it should appear on Netflix. I, I have suspicions that some of
1: that budget is
2: going towards accommodating the filming in fun new locales. <laughs> I believe the next one was filmed in Greece. That is correct. Yes, Benoit Blanc will be in Greece. <laughs> so just think of think of the beautiful locations that you can pay for with that budget.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the, the cast for the next film, my goodness, there were like, there was a, uh, a you know, it, it became a, a joke online of just saying, uh, like, anytime an actor was in the news for any reason, they're like, and they've joined the cast of Knives Out, too. <laughs> 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 like, like, no matter what it was, they were in the news for, people would add on, and they've joined the cast for Knives Out, too. Uh, let me pull up uh, real quick uh, who was in the official cast, and, and as is the nature of these sorts of things, who knows, maybe someone else will show up. It looks like we have uh, Ethan Hawke, Edward Norton, Leslie Odom Jr., Jada Pinkett Smith, Janelle Monae, Kate Hudson, Madeline Klein, Catherine Hahn. Oh, she's so good. Dave <laughs> Bautista, Jessica Henwick. Um, that's the confirmed cast that I've been able to see so far.
0: Yeah. Uh, wow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then there'll be another one, Uh Maybe ryan johnson will go make a star wars <laughs> in between i don't know he's he's signed to uh but he also uh is clearly being paid an awful lot of money to keep making benoit blanc films for netflix so i wouldn't say no to that i mean
0: i'm not complaining so
1: oh it feels like benoit blanc should be one of those characters that like just in 20 years it's like oh there's a new benoit blanc coming <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's great the
0: new doctor who the new <laughs> james bond <laughs>
1: yeah, just, just always always, well, I mean, always there yes <laughs> All right, well, before we move on to the full plot summary, we want to thank you for downloading this episode, and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we aren't yet covering as episodes of the podcast, and we're also giving updates on our fantasy box office so long as there are, are updates to be given. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now, on to the plot summary. I will just say this is a huge cast and a huge amount of plot and a lot of it ends up being red herrings that also reveal something about the cast. I'm going to tell us about the cast and like something we learn about them during the mystery. And just know if you watch the film, all this information will be doled out in bits and pieces across two hours. Uh, (laughs) And I'm going to jump through like the key parts of uh, of the mystery, but just know it's a little more circuitous and back and forth and flashbacky when you're watching the film. On the night of his 85th birthday, the prolific crime writer Harlan Thrombey dies. He's found the next morning in his home office with his throat slit. His whole family had attended his birthday party the day before. I run through the family, as well as several things we learn about them throughout the movie. There is his daughter, Linda, who runs her own company, though she got a huge loan from her dad to make it possible to start the company, but she claims that she's a self-made woman. Linda's husband, Richard, who's having an affair that Harlan knows about. They have a son named Ransom, who's the black sheep of the family. Joni is the wife of Harlan's deceased son, Neil. They had a daughter named Meg, who's in college. Joni tries to be an influencer and the founder of a lifestyle brand company, but she's been double dipping on Meg's college tuition, which Harlan had been paying for, and that's how she's paying for her lavish lifestyle. She has stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from Harlan this way. Meg is a perpetual liberal arts student whose grandfather is paying for her lifestyle. Walt Thrombey is Harlan's son who runs the business side of Harlan's publishing empire. Walt is desperate for his dad to allow his work to be adapted into film or television or streaming because the money's in the streaming. Uh, But Harlan does not want to do that. Walt is married to Donna, but most of her scenes didn't make the final cut of the film. So we don't know a lot about Donna, but apparently they filmed quite a bit with her. (laughs) Walt and Donna's son is Jacob. He's a loner teenager who's heading into the alt-right Nazi troll side of personal philosophy. Harlan Thrombey's mother, called Nana, is a very old woman in a wheelchair who watches everything but does not say much. We also meet Marta, who is Harlan's registered nurse, and Fran, who is Harlan's housekeeper. The police are ready to call Harlan Thrombey's death a suicide, but a famous private detective, Benoit Blanc, has been anonymously hired to look into his death. Blanc begins to look into things and learns that on the day of his death, Harlan had a fight with Ransom, told Richard that he'd be telling Richard's wife, Linda, about the affair that Richard was having, cut Joni's allowance off, and stopped paying for Meg's tuition, and also fired Walt as the head of his publishing Company. A lot happened to this family the day before this man died. <laughs> just reading it all out like that it is so much drama at this eighty-fifth birthday party. It really doesn't uh, feel that way when you're watching it. It all feels like, oh, this is just uh, you know, classic family issues. But I mean that would be like a day for everyone's journal. <laughs> Um, the audience learns that Marta was with Harlan playing a game of Go uh, the night after his party. She was supposed to give him his medicine, but in a mix-up she overdosed him on morphine. She cannot find the antidote that should be in her bag. And Harlan, knowing that his life is ticking away, he quickly devises a way for her not to be considered guilty of killing him, then slits his own throat as Marta is leaving the office. Marta vomits anytime she lies, so Benoit Blanc, Blanc trusts her when he asks her, for, uh, when he interrogates her, uh, even as she's a little bit evasive, uh, you know, as evasive she can't be without right lying because she again she will vomit <laughs> if she lies benoit and, tries
2: to- she does all of that per the instructions of of harlan right he's the yes. one who like he is the one who is kind of outsmarting That's- benoit blanc in this case
1: yeah yes. like he in his dying breath moments he's like okay here's how you will look innocent marta and he gives her a whole set of instructions about what to do but benoit recruits her basically as his sidekick because he trusts her completely uh and well I've, okay some stuff we'll learn later on heartland's will is read by frank oz uh i can't remember the character's name but it's frank oz right there
2: yoda oh i could <laughs> never figure out why that guy seemed so familiar i was like it's I guess it's just voice. a character actor but no it is performer puppeteer director frank oz <laughs>
1: Yes, wow. uh, I mean, just storyteller legend, <laughs> basically. Uh, Frank Oz reveals that Marta is Harlan's sole heir. The entire family has been cut off. Everyone freaks out. I love the scene so much. Uh, so but great. Ransom helps to sneak Marta away from his angry family. He says it is just hilarious that his family have been cut off from the wealth they'd never earned. Marta confesses uh, what she did to Ransom. She's like, she, she spills the beans. And he says, I'm going to help you escape and get out of this. But you got to give me my share of the inheritance. That's why I'm going to help you. So Marta, thinks think it's a blackmail note with a portion of Harlan's toxicology report on it. She and Ransom go to the medical examiner's office to see if they can get the rest of the toxicology report, but the whole medical examiner's office has been burned to the ground. Very suspicious. Marta gets an email from the blackmailer. She and Ransom have a comical car chase in her crappy car as the police pursue them. The police catch them, but then they have arrest Ransom, explaining that Harlan's ancient mother saw Ransom sneaking around the night of Harlan's murder, and they need to go interrogate him. Marta follows the instructions from the blackmailer and goes to a abandoned business where she finds Fran, who has been drugged. Marta calls for an ambulance and tries to save Fran, but Fran dies. Marta confesses everything that has happened to Benoit Blanc. She will tell the family what has happened too. This would make her unable to receive Harlan's inheritance, which means it would go back to Harlan's children, which would make them all very happy. But... Marta finds a copy of the toxicology report that Fran had hidden in the house. She gives this copy to Benoit, assuming it will prove her own guilt before she goes to confess to the family. Benoit reads the toxicology report, which reveals that Harlan did not have morphine in his system when he slit his own throat. He stops Marta from confessing as he tries to pull all the pieces together. He says, there's a hole in this donut, and I need to see the hole. <laughs> he deduces- a, a donut hole in a donut's hole. <laughs> yes. He deduces that Ransom swapped the labels on Marta's drugs and took the morphine antidote so that she, instead of the medicine he was supposed to re- uh, receive, would give Harlan morphine. Then she would not be able to give him the antidote because Ransom had already stolen it. Uh, but because... Marta knew the drug so well, she didn't look at the label and just gave Harlan the correct medicine. Like She just picked it up and knew this was the right one. After she read the label, after giving Harlan the medicine, though, she panicked and uh, told Harlan, and he concocted this wild scheme to keep Marta safe, which almost worked, but then he killed himself when the police are going to call the death a suicide. Ransom panics (laughs) began and honestly hires Benoit Blanc because he needs Marta to be accused of being the killer. And he cannot have this death just be a suicide uh, because Marta is going to inherit everything. Um, Fran saw Ransom sneaking around and tried to blackmail him. Ransom decided to try to frame Marta for Fran's murder too. So he would take care of his blackmailer, Fran, and ensure that Marta went to jail for two murders in this case. But at this moment, Marta lies to Ransom and says that Fran survived uh, his attack and is reporting to the police that Ransom attacked her. Ransom attacks Marta while confessing his crimes. Uh, He gets restrained by the police and Marta then vomits all over him because she lied about Fran surviving. The end. (laughs) Oh, vomiting all over Chris Evans. What a scene. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, I love this movie. (laughs) It's so good. And my uh, synopsis just missed so many of the twists and turns because you can't like this synopsis would have been 30 minutes long if I tried to actually follow all the twists that were given. But this is one of the most satisfying sets of twists and turns that I can remember in a film. Like it really does feel Agatha Christie esque. Uh, The way like every character is given a motivation for what they're doing that feels earned. It makes you think they could be the murderer, but also we are shown why they're not the murderer. Um, And I I always struggle with things that either the reason they're doing something isn't internally motivated or properly motivated, or um, like you're never really told why they didn't do the murder. (laughs) It's like, well, they had the opportunity. So and the motivation, you you really made us believe they could have done it. So why didn't they? It's because, well, we want this other person to be the murderer basically.
2: And I think they, they kind of skew that. They make, I mean, it's within the first 30 minutes, Marta like remembers her story. And so you see what actually happened. Mm -hmm. And then she tells her lie. And so they make the mystery a red herring, right? Like, you think the entire mystery is not about a murder. It is, okay, is she going to be able to hide the fact that Harlan killed himself to protect her, or is that going to be revealed? Yeah. And then eventually, they reveal that there was an actual attempted murder,
1: mm-hmm. and and again, yeah.
2: it can only be an attempted murder on Harlan because we you know Harlan killed himself because he totally yes. killed himself. Whether yeah. there's drugs in his system or not, right? Like, there can be, you know, a, a, it could be caused by her accident, her mistake, or it can be an outright suicide. Yeah, and and so yeah. they so quickly establish like, okay. Here's what happened. We like Marta. We're rooting for her. And it becomes about her going against Benoit Blanc to some degree. And her like it it, it kind of ends up being not a murder mystery. It kind of yeah. ends mm-hmm. up being just a story. It's like, oh, Marta's in a tight spot. How's she going to deal with this? And it's inside the scope of a murder mystery.
1: Right. So so within the the mystery genre, there's the who done it, which is the most classic like that's the agatha christie stuff i, I mean i guess i said i don't remember last time there was a movie like this but there was the agatha christie uh uh adaptation of murder on the orient express with kenneth Branagh mm-hmm. directing yes. but on that one like i knew the story so well i wasn't like shocked by all the twists and turns because <laughs> uh it's a pretty classic murder mystery that i'd read um but then there's also a style that is less commonly done called on how catch is what fans call it which is where the audience knows who the murderer is and the murderer, it's the cat and mouse is the game. Like who is, how is the murderer going to either get away from this or what is the mistake that the murderer makes that the detective is going to catch? So like the show Monk, every time the cold open was the audience seeing the murder take place. And then the rest of the episode was Monk circling the potential suspects and the audience knows the whole time which one is the murder. And, and the game is um, how is Monk going to actually catch the murder and Knives Out? Actually, does both styles? It's a who done it and a how catch him, yes. <laughs> you know, at the, at the same time, and uh I think for an audience, it leaves us a little uncertain as to like where this is all going because we are somewhat trained in the generic conventions of both those murder mystery styles. We are not trained for a little bit of both to happen. And I think it, it kept it all familiar enough. Like this is a classic murder mystery in the big old manner with a locked room of uh, like who the, who were the guests that night. Uh, like these are all our suspects happening. But also we were told Harlan killed himself. Marta was there in the room. So why <laughs> why are we following Benoit Blanc <laughs> through all of <laughs> yeah. this? And, and I think it was a very pleasant, at least for me, mix of familiar and different. And, uh, you know, like I know these beats and oh, that's completely surprising.
0: Yeah, it's it's very interesting because like w- while what you're saying is yeah we were it's a mix of both who done it and and how catch him. However, w- at the end we don't realize that we didn't know the whole truth. We didn't know that mm-hmm. there was an attempt on the murder, and like it's all just like <laughs> it, how does this all it, come together so perfectly? <laughs>
2: it, it's it's not like how are they catching marta or like how are they revealing that she's guilty it's like no how are we going to figure out that marta's innocent yeah like and how is someone the, how, it, how someone is our protagonist is yeah how yes. is our protagonist possibly going to be innocent here yeah when and so, so they gave her, us all her the in clues. the clues
1: where the murder took place
2: <laughs> yeah and so so they give us all the clues and ultimately like it is pretty satisfying like oh yeah why is that portion of the page ripped off why is this mm-hmm. going on and so you've got all of this stuff that does add up when you go back and look at it. Yeah, and it's like oh, someone else did something because they make a point of like, and they state it right. Some of us just expository. They state, oh, ransom wasn't at the funeral. Well, mm-hmm. why wasn't he at the funeral? It's so that he was because he was doing something else. Yeah. And, and so it all yeah. adds up, and so you still get that satisfying thing. But it's like, oh yeah, we're not. It it like it it kind of isn't to me. I I don't think of it as like oh good we caught the killer. It's like mm-hmm. oh good the person who deserves something good is getting something good. Yeah. Right. Like the person yeah. who deserves to be innocent is innocent. Yes.
0: And, <laughs> and
1: Oh, go ahead, Kestra. And,
0: and with, with uh, Benoit Blanc at the end being like, Oh, I knew you were involved from the start. Like, it's like, how, why didn't you do anything beforehand? But it's just, it's so brilliantly put together. So yeah, I I
1: didn't put it in the uh, in the in the summary, but he saw a drop of blood on her shoe, but he also knew there's no way she's the murderer. So why in the world was she in the room where the murder took place? Uh, And so he's he's keeping her close to kind of like circle this idea uh, and he doesn't want to press too hard because that could frighten everything and, you know, make a mess of things. So he's trying to like root things out without telling her what he's rooting out. And she's panicked the whole time. (laughs) But he's trying to play a gold. Which is
0: another way of showing yes, this this guy, Benoit Blanc, is brilliant. He is is super smart. Like he just knows so much. But I I mean, what's
1: driving him isn't that he knows so much. It's like I, I'm seeing what I don't know.
0: Yeah, he right? observes <laughs> he I, I, he observes so much. He, he sees things. Yeah. He can't always put all the pieces together at once, but he he can put them together at the end. Because
1: absolutely we have like in the history of the detective genre, some very smug detectives that you would not want to be friends with. Like Sherlock yes. Holmes is a jerk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, like oh, What he, he does is like, Oh, Watson, don't you see? We don't get that from Benoit Blanc. Cause he's like, ah, it's not, don't you see? It's like, I'm missing something and, and we're all missing it. And I need to find out what it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. I
2: really like, he has several of these like scenes and quiet scenes and moments where he is observing the family and, you can tell that he is past judgment on this family, just being <laughs> miserable. Like these guys suck. Um, and, and he's he, not a winner he here it, in this room. Except and then for you he, Marta,
1: who is yeah. the only one I know was in the room where the murder happened. And so he like
2: watches something from out on the patio. And then he has a conversation with Marta. And then he has that really quiet moment where he talks to Harlan's mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks to Nana and I'm like, okay, so he is compelled, not because he got a stack of cash, Like he Mm -hmm. is compelled because something doesn't add up, right? Like the person who looks guilty in this situation couldn't like really doesn't deserve to be guilty here. And so he, he has like a protective element where it's not just, it's not even just solving it. He's like, no, I need to solve why my gut is saying something different from the immediate evidence.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also just not all, all coming together. Like he sees all these pieces and because the whole family are all jerks in their own ways <laughs> it it's he's like, "Okay, I just don't know what really happened, and that this is his job and so because this is all completely a different kind of mystery he's he just likes it, and it's it's like a game to him, but he has to solve it, and he has to prove that his gut is right, and that Marta is not the murderer
1: um and i think like as you're saying like he's he's sitting back and just knowing immediately all of his family are losers yes. one thing that i really do enjoy about this is um like there's some really pointed social critique that is happening about this group of losers that are all across the political <laughs> spectrum and ryan johnson is really just letting them all have it whether it is um you know joni i'm a self-made business woman well no you've got a million dollar loan that you didn't have to pay off <laughs> from your dad and or, or, or not joni that's uh um linda I'm linda. Up. linda yeah and then joni being like this ridiculous like crunchy granola lifestyle guru that th- there's absolutely no respect given towards that. Yeah. But you also have like the right ring pearls with, with Walt and his son and, uh, and, um, the, um, uh meg who is just like s- this you know oh i'm your best friend marta because i don't i don't see class and i don't see race but then she's the worst <laughs> you find out like as soon as as soon as money's on the line she will she will see class and race
2: <laughs> and... Or, or or she'll like give in to the pressure <laughs>
0: yeah yeah right? like, yeah absolutely she, she
2: she has the the theoretically high moral standard and the guilt associated with it but she didn't have the performance of it right when her and family then... pushed her she gave it
1: yeah. Oh yeah. She, she, she cracks so fast. Uh. But then Marta, it's like, she's a good person. That's why she should be rewarded. <laughs> like she, mm-hmm. she, she, she wasn't being nice to, uh to Harlan because Harlan's rich. She's being nice to Harlan because she's a good person who cared. Uh, yeah. and you, you we're finding out like his own family isn't being nice to him because they love him, because he's their dad. They're being nice to him because he's rich and they they're they're addicted to the money that he is, mm-hmm. you know, feeding each of one of them and they're all trying to ways to find find ways to either to keep themselves attached to the money or milk it all for more money, uh in the in the case and, of Walt.
2: And um, and I've seen this like commentary about it online where they said, you know, knives out is kind of interesting because you see so quickly that with all these different, you know, political viewpoints, like, like the extremes on both sides and all this sort of stuff going on um, and, and attitudes about business attitudes, about politics, attitudes about family and all, all of that going on. They're all rich. And as soon as that wealth is challenged, they will turn on the poor people. (laughs) Like they will unite. (laughs) Like they are a solid block against losing their money. (laughs) They hate each other, but they will work together to preserve the lifestyle and and the money. Yes. You know, and, and, And they have all these moments where they say, well, Marta, we'll take care of you. Right. When they think that they're going to have infinite resource.
1: Yeah. They want to be generous with it.
2: We will give you 60,000 a year. And then and then their stuff is threatened. It's like, OK, but it's your inheritance being threatened and your lifestyle being threatened. You know, if you are self-sufficient and self-sustaining and, you know, principled as you describe yourselves yeah.
0: even even if then, they then
2: this isn't a threat to you is it
0: yeah even <laughs> if they say that when they do have the money that they're going to take care of marta or they care about the the poor or or whatever what have you uh they turn on her and they never, they never say where she, where her family is actually from. <laughs> they, they never get this. it right. <laughs> they never right get it right.
2: That they've never, they don't know her well
1: enough. No. Like, so
0: your, during your the Ecuador,
2: opening. Your family's
0: from Paraguay.
1: Yeah. Benoit Blanc is interviewing everyone and he's, he's like asking questions about the other family members, the other people in the house. And whenever he asks about Marta, like you see one family member is like, oh, she's from Peru. <laughs> oh, she's Guatemala. Uh, Mexican uh, you know just vaguely South American Central or South American is all the family can say about Marta uh, no one actually knows her uh, we learn and I also adore in uh, the, the flashbacks as each family is telling their point of view of the night of the party they're all next to Harlan Rombi as he gets his birthday cake and like smiling right next to him it's the um, oh, what's the Japanese film
2: uh, Rashomon.
1: Yeah, it's the Rashomon, uh, which Ryan Johnson has has mentioned many times in his career as being a favorite film, uh, which is, you know, a story about like different people's points of view of the same events and how self-centered everyone's point of view of the same event becomes. And uh, like the film never like has anyone comment on this. It's just there visually for you as, as an audience, as you watch it, that, you know, in their version of the birthday night, it was me and my dad's night. You know, we were I was right there with him uh, at the special moment uh, <laughs> yes. and it. It's just such a fabulous use of the film medium to like visually tell a joke <laughs> and, and also reveal a character at the same time for the audience. Um, and it's something that Ryan Johnson, I think, is very good at. I, I do really respect the um, like convoluted nature it must have been to write this like like think of like how he had to lay out like everyone's plot line. Mm-hmm. and yeah. here's their point a here's their point b here's you know or or point e here's where i want to i need to reveal b c and d about each one of these characters okay i'm going to twist and tangle all of these um and yet when watching this i remember sitting in the theater being like curious about where this was going because of the the Who Done It, how ketchup like blend that was happening like wait what like what is the end reveal actually going to be uh but i never felt lost as far as where each character was and what they were doing um, mm-hmm. right. and there, there's so many balls in the air, uh, in this story and to be able to, through the combination of, of his writing, his directing, the visual cues that were given, and also these amazing performances from the, uh, these actors that really lend every character such a distinct voice. Um, I, I was able to feel grounded about everyone and why everyone might want Harlan dead and who would have had opportunities when. Yeah.
2: I, I really like, I think a good example of the like complexity and satisfaction that you're talking about comes from they like when they lay out the the schedule for the night, right? Here's all the things that happened. Here's when people walked into the house, walked out of the house, and all those sorts of things. And then you get it from Marta and Harlan's perspective, um, all the things mm-hmm. that are happening. And you see how all that fits in together. But then on top of that, you also have um Marta like adding up and and Harlan adding up what she is going to say for mm-hmm. The night, and then her confusion in trying to remember what he's going to say. Because I right. love the moment where she's supposed to drive past or turn off before a certain <laughs> statue. And so she's like remembering his instructions, and they're getting all jumbled up. And even as an audience, like, Which one was gag. it? Yeah, well, which
1: yeah. one was yeah. it? <laughs> and, the, and then it it's really revealed that she bit. got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, And I mean, just in in thinking through like the the, the complexity and, and how to keep this all straight, I do want to give a shout out to the costume designers and the makeup people, uh, because some of these actors who I've seen in dozens of roles it, like took me a half second, like, wait, is that <laughs> that's Michael Shannon? Look at Michael Shannon, uh, and and they just gave he like such that, distinct looks. He does that to... sometimes. Yeah, but they gave everyone such distinct looks that they were that character. And even though this is yeah. a phenomenal cast, like we've said, I didn't feel like. I I was watching, you know, these Hollywood stars. I felt like I was watching these characters and it took that half beat to realize, Oh, look, there's Tony Collette.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It it like, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's that person. Oh, it's, it's that person. But I have to realize that after we actually, it it
2: turned all these movie stars into character actors.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But with, with, uh, with Harlan being played by Christopher Plummer, it took Andrew and I, like a moment or I, I don't remember how we figured it out that he is uh in sound of music but it's, von like, Trapp. <laughs> it's von trap it's von trap oh my gosh he, it's the same person flag ripping meme. <laughs> this is crazy
1: oh and he has a grandson who's a nazi <laughs>
0: troll <laughs> yes
1: oh the tragedy but yeah, and Don Johnson, like all of these. Uh, I mean, the one that's really hard, though, is uh, I mean, Chris Evans. It's hard for him to not look like Chris Evans.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they, uh, they but, do, but he do. does
1: get a fabulous sweater that draws attention away from Chris Evans. <laughs> oh, yeah. The sweater that, game in this that, is, is really yes. good.
0: Yeah. They, I was going to mention the sweater because that and and then the hairstyle definitely makes it seem be like, yes, this is Chris Evans, but it's not captain america so don't think it's captain america because if you think it's captain america you're gonna get ruined at the end because <laughs> he's not good like captain america
1: <laughs> he's not no um if you were gonna try to describe marta like why can why is she the center of this film
0: oh i don't know <laughs> she why is she the center of the film yeah
1: cause I think she is she definitely is operating there, oh, she definitely <laughs> what, is' cause... what about her character like allows her to to support that level of interest from the audience and that investment from the audience that we want to see her you know make it out okay
0: right well, she she blends in like as much as the family says that they support her and they know her and and they that she's a part of the family, she really just blends in to the back and is really just a friend of Harlan and the nurse of harlan and and that helps her to be able to see all of the stuff that's that's going on behind Mm -hmm. the scenes and with each character uh and harlan is able to tell her all these things and so she's able to be the focus of and the connecting point to to everyone because she knows everyone's uh garbage business (laughs) business
1: (laughs) thank you family-friendly podcast
2: (laughs) i think there's a a, there's an underdog element immediately um Mm -hmm. like you know there's the i i I think the immigrant aspect is part of that underdog thing but she's also like we immediately see her like her introduction she is waking up she has a broken phone like the screen is cracked on her phone and everyone's like, oh, I know who this person is. Like, yeah, this person does not immediately go out and fix the phone. And I know what it's like to be that person. Right. That's And also
1: we find out like this is a person uh, who's living in an atmosphere where people wouldn't even like they have people who go fix their phone. The second there's a crack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. they don't even know yeah, how to and- fix a phone, but their phone is always fixed. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: And so you immediately get that. It's like, OK, like that's a deliberate choice to establish like, OK, she lives with a broken phone and she is immediately like her family environment. Like she is struggling and her mom does all the exposition. Like Her Her best friend friend just died. Just slit his own throat. Stop watching that. It's like maybe yelling about that. not so great. And she's just like quiet in that moment. She's like, I just don't want to cause a problem. I don't want to draw a lot of attention to myself. I don't want to. I don't want to make a big deal about any of it. I, I want to survive. Yeah. Right. She has uh, like just I want to get through things.
0: She's I like I don't know if she's necessarily an introvert, but she just doesn't she doesn't need to talk that much to to anyone. And she just has her own thoughts and, and ideas in her head. And she and she like gets nervous. She she seems human and something mm. like something like a lot of people can relate to no matter their situation, unless they're like the thrombies and garbage people
1: (laughs) and i think it really does work um in the sense that she is surrounded by such big characters including benoit blanc and all the thrombies uh to make the centerpiece be a little um less flamboyant (laughs) less less exaggerated maybe uh than the other characters makes this feel uh, I, I think there's so much about this that actually is like on the edge of being caricature and on the edge, like writing the line of almost being like broad farce. Like, like even her uh, vomiting, right? Like that—that that is something yeah. that could just be played mm-hmm. if played wrongly. It, it could be ridiculous instead of really satisfying when she vomits all over yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh and, and like that's the one thing she's allowed—that's kind of like a character quirk. But otherwise, and it's involuntary to her. Uh, but she's operating in a world of such big characters that it—I it, think it's necessary for the film to not feel imbalanced to have this kind of like centering uh you know just just a normal person <laughs> kind yeah. of uh you know right here that um the audience like you said i think is rooting for um i i think you're right about like the sort like i still remember like the cringe i feel during the dinner party scene when the don johnson character was like marta come here you know <laughs> like your people and like he says something like that and it's just like no yes oh no uh and like oh. you, you we we are cringing but also it immediately like makes us like her and dislike the people that are treating her this way yeah Mm -hmm. uh and we're given like enough that even those people like some of the people are like trying to defend her in that moment but we quickly learn like oh they're they're just they're as bad but in different ways (laughs) in Mm -hmm. in the way that they uh don't actually care about her or don't see her as a person uh, and and certainly don't see her as um, an equal, you know, and uh, because of class and race and uh, nationality and, uh, you know, all these other things that are are very present, but also you don't feel beaten over the head with in this story. Like, I think this commentary is there, but it also doesn't feel like Ryan Johnson's preaching at us at all.
2: And, And everyone's like the thing that keeps them from being caricatures is that they are so authentic like these are the extremes but
1: they're not they're
0: oh, not so like extreme <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're not over we, the top yeah you,
1: we've we either know them in our own life or see them on social media or yeah. have seen them yeah. portrayed like, enough like, that we know these kinds of people ex- absolutely exist they're, they're people who say like i built real. my empire and then it's like yeah, yeah no yeah <laughs> your parents bought you your house like and, with... and pay for your education and you you're not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps linda
0: yeah yeah, they're not over the top. They're not too extreme, but you know that there are people like that. Like a lot of people when I talk to them about what their favorite villain is, some people will be like, Oh, it's it's maleficent or it's it's the evil queen or something like that. Some or or it's Chernobyl, someone like super extreme. And then there's a couple of people who are like, No, it's it's uh, it's Frollo because there are people like Frollo in the world and it's not good. And yeah. So and, in
2: like Disney film in terms, like some of the scariest stuff is the stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah that, that that really that, happens.
0: There's there's people like that. And I think because they don't do the over the top big persona kind of people in this film with all of the characters, it's uh, it. It really makes it seem real <laughs> as you're mm-hmm. watching it
1: yeah i think you're definitely onto something with that i like that uh that way of of seeing it um and and i think we definitely need that you know marta there to, to help help us to to see something that is distinctly real and then it, it prevents us from like everything else being too skewed uh outward speaking of skewed outward uh and, and big characters benoit blanc <laughs>
0: <So> <laughs> this great. performance from
1: daniel craig <laughs> my goodness well, what are we to make of this man? Like, like, do we feel like we know Benoit Blanc or is he just a delight to have on screen, but we don't really know who he is?
0: I don't know. I, I feel I... like
2: those quiet moments are. Well, I want those quiet moments to be real because they're like so sophisticated and like I understand people. So I watch from the outside and I, I talk to Nana. But also there's. I mean, there's moments where he's so oblivious about stuff. What's the scene where he's waiting in the car and he's waiting in the car and he's listening to something on his his headphones? What is he listening to? I don't remember what it is. He's singing along with something. I I can't remember what it is. And and, and, like the police are pulling up behind him and he doesn't realize it. And so you have this moment where it's like, okay, but like you're not just like constantly introspective, like you are kind of a goober sometimes
1: (laughs) in trying to figure out these things. And You're not the 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 like the level of detective that always knows everything that's happening at all times yes. and mm-hmm. is is smarter than the reader, smarter yes. than everyone that that's around him in the room. Dunble Blanc is is there <laughs> and he's smart, but he's not the absurd level of smart that some, yes. some yeah, TV show detectives or, are or, or movie um, detectives are.
2: When they're like they're like walking back to the house and Marta realizes that her, her footprints will be in the mud, and so she walks over them on purpose, and then he starts realizing oh, no, wait, there's footprints in the mud.
0: Did it rain recently?
2: And he starts calling out to her to stop. And so she keeps like walking back and forth over the footprints. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, okay. And it's like, if he was the perfect detective, he would have realized that it hadn't rained in three days. So there would be footprints. Yes. Right. You know, if he was Sherlock Holmes, he would have, you know, caught on that immediately. He's like, check for for the footprints.
0: They make it seem so human. Like you can be a detective and still human and not this... Sherlock Holmes of a detective and what I really love about Benoit Blanc is he will try to connect with people as much as he can like he he tries to talk to Nana and the way he talks to Nana is very different from when he talks to the rest of the family and and when he's in the car and he's on his headphones I'm sure he's (laughs) trying to like piece everything together in the back of his brain as he's singing along to whatever the song is that we can't remember um but then he's like, oh, wait, oh, oh, no, there's cops. Oh, what like, happened? I Where? totally oh, missed L- like, I'm, hurrying out of the some- car. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on. What happened? It's, it's brilliant. And it's so human. Mm hmm.
1: Yes, I like that. And, and I think we I, it's kinda like what we said, like we need Marta for the whole story to be grounded. We need those moments for Benoit Blanc to be grounded. Yes. Um otherwise he he can become larger than life. Which he he kinda is. I mean it's Daniel Craig in a southern accent, and that's larger than life, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to some degree. <laughs> um yeah. I really do enjoy uh this performance. It it is something. Um as far as the film itself or, or the plot or anything, is it are do you have any nits to pick or are we just praising everything about this?
0: I don't think I have anything. I I really can't think of anything that I can. I mean, it is ninety seven
1: percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This yeah. is a <laughs> <beloved> <laughs> film by critics, and, and it earned a massive payday for Ryan Johnson to make more of these because people liked it so much. Yes. Um, so to just I, say, oh, I like it. I, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I,
2: I, the okay, so I'm trying to think like really hard about the thing the things that bug me the most about this movie. And I think there's like one thing that consistently, and it's not like a failure in the film. It's not a mistake, but it's like, Oh oh, man. So towards the end, um, Marta tricks ransom by when she's talking on the phone, she turns around and she says that, um, Fran is, is doing fine. Mm-hmm. And and that gets him to admit that he tried to kill her, which then means that he admits to killing her.
1: Yeah, he thinks the jig is up right then.
2: Yeah. So she's on the phone with the doctor and the doctor just told her that she died. <laughs> and she says, doctor, that's great news. And then she hangs up the phone and I'm like, what in the world? is the doctor <laughs> thinking <laughs> on the other side of that line okay. like because she doesn't hang up until after like you hear like the yeah. the click on the phone like the beep you know for ending the call i was like she just said that to the doctor <laughs> and so that's like one of the things i'm like
1: yeah, does she say that's, that's great me. news or should she, she thank you tell, me?
2: tell the doctor that it's great news that her friend died <laughs> also it doesn't Get make it? sense that the doctor's calling her
1: right uh, why yeah. is she like, the, she's the, not uh, next she's right. not
2: Can or anything like that. And so maybe just the emergency uh,
1: contact. Yeah, you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts somehow. Um, Maybe the emergency contact. You can kind of hand wave that away. Yeah.
2: Yeah, And so you kind of have to hand wave that one. It's like, okay, it doesn't make any sense that call occurs. It's very convenient that it happens right then. But then she lies and says, Doctor, that's great news. (laughs) Yeah. Um, on Um, the phone. And so I've gotta like, I've gotta square that one. And it's kind of just like a goofy thing (laughs) because it makes that that scene work. And it's like if it's Any other excuse, you know, like if it's just that, you know, it was a planted phone call so that she could say that so that he would admit it. But then it still like doesn't work because it it really is them saying that she's dead. And so he just confessed to murder. And so it all has to add up. And so that's maybe my
1: biggest like Mm -hmm. hand wavy like, okay, I don't have a good excuse for this. All right. For me, like the only I don't have anything that's like a real complaint, but there's some things that are like right on the edge of maybe too cute uh and it somehow it doesn't quite land there but it still is like oh is it too cute like i find myself asking that even if my in the end the answer is no one is like the hugh ransom reveal where uh, fran did this as as dying she says hugh did this and Mm -hmm. they do set up earlier that his name is hugh ransom and only the help have ever ever called him hugh and he hates it every he, he wants to go by ransom so they like there's just enough setup that i'm like okay i think i can allow it but i it does like oh you're you're almost a little too cute here Ryan <laughs> mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson uh, with that and and it it still like rubs me just enough that I I can't help but think about it uh, when when I get to the Hugh did this scene well, that's totally uh, and, and the mishearing as you uh, you did this and it feels like an accusation towards Marta Where we as audience uh, like why is friend blaming Marta I don't <laughs> like there's also enough of a like wait why why would you be blaming Marta right now uh, is, is hovering over the scene that maybe it feels a little too cute and the other one is. The fake knife, which absolutely, like, it's Chekhov's gun. It is set up from the beginning, so I'm going to let it happen. Uh, But the fake knife, uh, which is, uh, early on, Harlan says something, like, when he's in the office, he's like, my family wouldn't know a real knife from a prop knife, and he shows a fake knife that, you know, the dagger disappears. And when Harlan, or when Ransom thinks the game is up, he grabs a knife and tries to stab Marta. uh, And to the audience, it's supposed to look like she's been stabbed, but it turns out to be the fake knife. And it's just one where it's like, Oh, it's almost too cute, but it is Chekhov's gun. It's a rule that I'll that I'll allow it, <laughs> you know, just just right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other thing that is not a complaint, but it just it makes me sad, is like on a rewatch, you're like Harlan's confidence in seeing the world makes him kill himself, right? Yeah, like I, he doesn't need to kill himself,
2: and and <laughs> he spends enough time talking that. He should start to show symptoms. Yeah. And so he gets so into the fiction and the fantasy. It's like, no, by the time he's slitting his throat, he should have started to show the symptoms that Marta described.
1: Yeah. And yeah. And I I think I've heard some people complain, like he maps things out too quickly for Marta. That doesn't bother me because they like it's kind of like the the the, these other things. Enough setup has happened that I'm going to allow that. Yeah. We know he is a brilliant crime like like he maps out crimes in his head uh Mm. so i don't mind that at all but it just makes me sad that he doesn't have to kill himself and like part of me wishes is like is is there any world in which he's not dead right now because he killed himself needlessly
0: yes yeah
1: uh and and i don't think that's a flaw in the film i think we absolutely are supposed to feel that particularly on a rewatch (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it's supposed to hit us like oh he doesn't have to be doing this right now why is he doing this stop oh he did it don't do it (laughs) yeah oh there's the blood on our shoe (laughs)
0: yeah
1: i do remember Uh, just in terms of like little directing moments like it is not a huge deal at all uh but the way it gets handled uh she is at home with her mom and she's like nervous like the night after like when she saw harlan kill himself and she's like tapping her foot and then the camera zooms in on this drop of blood on her shoelace and i remember the audience gasping in the theater like <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's like not the biggest reveal because we're like we know she was in the room but just seeing that drop of blood like added so much tension to the audience and it does not get paid off till the end of the film uh, yeah. like like that moment is a it was a gasp out loud in the theater moment that then you kind of forget about. And then he says, I knew you were in the room the whole time. Cause I saw the drop of blood on your shoe. You're like, oh, we knew about the drop of blood. Remember the camera showed us <laughs> the, the, the drop of blood on the shoe. Uh, and there's so many like little directing moments. that I think it it just shows Ryan Johnson can be a master, uh, you know, yes. at, at playing with the audience and our expectations. And yeah. the fact that, you know, that zoom in on a shoelace with a little pink dot on it. Actually like was palpable in, in the, in the theater. It's just a little bit of movie magic. Like that is just, Pure yeah. storytelling so that manipulated great. us in the perfect way. Well, do you have any final thoughts about knives out?
0: No, not. I just love this film. Thanks for having <laughs> me talk about it.
1: Uh, that is a fair review. I, I'm going to allow that. Andrew, anything <laughs> you want to say?
2: Uh, I also enjoy it. I just, every time at the end of the movie, I was like, I like, I keep checking. It's like, does she hang up suddenly before <laughs> she says that to the doctor? And I think she really told the doctor that it was great news that Fran died.
1: <laughs> Surely she's going to call the doctor back and like, I had to say that to capture Ransom. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm brokenhearted. I am just strong right like,
2: It's really, I really terrible. I'm really sorry. But, like, in a way, it's like, it is great news because it means they can catch him for murder? <laughs> because Because otherwise, he didn't successfully commit a crime. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, it's because Harlan did kill himself. Yeah.
1: The last thing I want to say, there is a fantastic final shot of the film where one of the first shots of the film is Fran taking a mug of coffee up to Harlan when she finds his dead body. And it's in a mug that says, my house, my rules. And the last shot of the film is an enormous, uh looking out over the family as they like. Sadly, leave slash. all get arrested.
2: <laughs> they are all awful. As, as they start calling their lawyer. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, yes. They're all going to go start talking to lawyers. I guess only Ransom's being arrested at the end, but really, all of them are on the cusp of oh, some bad I news say, coming their way.
2: But his, she's holding his the mug. dad. His dad just starts waving a wad of cash in front of police officers <laughs> while his son's going to get arrested. <laughs> now, hang
1: on, <laughs> like like he's going to pay bail on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> that is great i've never noticed that detail uh but she is holding the mug and her hand covers up the my rules so it just says my house and mm-hmm. like so much of it is about inheritance yeah. and it is just such a the perfect last shot i'm pretty sure it's been a while uh but i did listen to the director's commentary one time on this, and i meant to go double check this i am almost certain that ryan johnson said that was not planned that was just one of the prop mugs that they they had uh-huh. and they like found that shot like while on set and looking over the, the options of the like, oh, what about this and her like her hand over like the my the my rules part so it just says my house as <laughs> so she looks out over the family it just feels like it's almost like the closed eye at the end of Lost. like oh of course you bookended this with the mug shot at the beginning and at the end like it had to be planned perfect but it, that I, I I I need to go double check this. I'm pretty sure he said it was like a found like button for the film mm-hmm. as they looked over what what they could do for the vinyl shot and the, and they found that mug again. And they're like, oh, this is perfect.
0: Yes, we this
1: is what we have to do.
2: We should quickly throw out amazing house set.
0: Oh, oh, so like so all weird. all of
2: the random weird stuff on every shelf, like dangling from the ceiling, all that oh, stuff. And his writer's office,
1: I lust for that writer's <laughs> office. <laughs> That writer's office is so amazing, like a hidden passageway almost to it, and and books on every like that is like I it, I covet the my neighbor's possessions when I see that writer's yeah. office on screen. It is like I I need that space and to it's got to the, be where I sit and think.
2: The the couches and the the chest and everything, and then I also love the touch. He just has a laptop tucked in yep. there. It, it's not a typewriter. Yeah. Like there's no romantic fantasy about how he writes his about how he, how he writes his stuff. It's like, no, it's it, it is like he just has a, a little MacBook. Yeah. And that's how he yeah, types. His he stuff. has
0: the little notebook where he'll take little notes in and it's so cute. Yeah. So he like and writes things like, down. Everything about this house and the set and all the little pieces. It's just like, oh, this feels not like a like a clean, tidy, super rich person's like, like that,
1: there's a housekeeper there, decor. but the housekeeper isn't like uh you know uh also a home decorator that makes yeah. sure everything looks like it's ready for a magazine shoot yeah like this it's, is a lived in space
0: it's lived in and it, it like you 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 know that each thing has its place for a specific reason and it's just it's so great
1: oh that writer's office it is one of the greatest sets in the history of filmmaking i'm, <laughs> I'm calling my shot right now fair <sighs> yeah all right that is gonna wrap up this episode Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows, go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott to who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at and Our producer, Andrew, is at This Minute, And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. And we're also on the Dueling Genre Discord channel. You can find all of the Dueling Genre hosts there talking about their podcasts. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So You reaches my, you, nah, spinning out at the very end. Oh, it's the worst.